Welcome to Real Estate Coaching Radio, starring award-winning real estate coaches and number one international best-selling authors, Tim and Julie Harris. Real Estate Coaching Radio is the nation's number one daily radio show for realtors who demand authentic, real-time coaching. Get ready for fluff-free, unfiltered, full-strength honesty about what's truly working to get you into action, helping others, and making money now in today's real estate market. Now to our hosts, Tim and Julie Harris. Three, two, one. We are back. It is, what is today? July the 21st. We've got a couple, well, I think maybe two or three quick headlines to share with all of you guys. The first one in particular, I think is um, <laughs> kind of urgently important. And this is something that will affect all of you, especially those of you who work with investors. Uh, and the next one is sort of an ominous, I think, forward-looking prediction of what's going to happen in a lot of the major cities. But we're going to share these two points with you just because I think it's important that, yes, we all stay optimistic and we all stay hoping for the best, but never forget to also be preparing for the worst. And a couple of these headlines, I think, will be real, I think, poignant right now for the sake of keeping you in the mindset of being prepared for the worst. And remember, today is a continuation of the, I think it ended up being 21 things you should never say to yourself, let alone never say out loud to anybody else. And these things, little pernicious things that have become normalized that people just get used to saying, used to thinking, and you don't actually realize the nasty ramifications of some of these things that, you know, again, are just normal things that people say to each other. So we're going to pick up and I think we might actually finish off the topic today, maybe. Mm -hmm. Right. So Julie, welcome to today's podcast. Thank you. And very interesting headlines indeed. So let's start with this one. Biden to propose $775 billion child care elder care plan funded largely by wealthy real estate investors. So don't get us wrong here. That's all good. Child care elder care plan. But how are we paying for this? Biden's, quote, 21st century caregiving and education workforce plan. Good luck sounding like you're against that. Caregiving and education workforce plan follows major proposals on green energy and by American economics. Would provide universal child care to three and four year olds, new fund new child care centers, work to clear the backlog for in home in home elder and disabled care requests, and help caregivers get better pay and education. Okay. And, ju- and just so you guys are clear, I think you know, assuming we are we don't make too much, Julie and I actually benefit from both of these plans because we have not only an elder in the house, but we have a younger in the house as well. That's right. <laughs> so we could get Julie. So maybe we should love on this proposal uh, and hope the Biden wins, right? and so that we can. <laughs> Yes, but wait, Biden's campaign said only that the proposal will, quote, be paid for by rolling back unproductive and unequal tax breaks for real estate investors with income 400000 and taking steps to increase tax compliance for high-income earners. A senior campaign official told Bloomberg News that he would specifically target like-kind exchanges. Boy, that sounds like 1031 to me, which let investors defer taxes by reinvesting commercial real estate sales in another property. And also stop investors from using real estate losses to slash their income tax bills. So did we warn you guys about this two weeks ago? Mm-hmm. Yes, we did. We got, we gave you guys, I think it was maybe two or three Sundays ago on our Sunday show, we gave you a prediction of what we thought were going to be the low-hanging fruit for uh, where they're going to increase taxes. And where they're going to increase taxes, and just be very clear about this, on 1031 tax exchanges. Now, obviously, Biden has to win, and obviously... Um, that proposal will get, you know, 
bellied about and then who knows how the actual maybe it's not an income of 400 maybe it's an income of 200 or maybe it's an income of a million and then you you know don't get the tax breaks anymore but the moral of the story is is it certainly does appear as Jules and I predicted that 1031 tax exchanges which have been uh, actually over the past maybe 10 years, the things you can 1031, you used to be able to 1031 equity from like one collector car to a next and things like that. You could use 1031s for all kinds of assets. And now it's basically being, I know, essentially being made so that it's going to be taxed. And that means that when you, just to put this in perspective, let's say you do a flip or you buy an investment property, right? Whatever it is. And then you go and you sell it. And before you you could just say, well, I'm going to, you know, like kind exchange into a similar property and I'm going to move whatever equity or whatever profit I would have otherwise had to make taxes on them, just move it to the next property. Well, and now what they're going to do is they're going to make you pay taxes on every, uh, every time you sell a house. So when you sell any kind of property and you have a gain on that property, you're going to have to pay taxes on it. You can't just defer the taxes by essentially rolling the um, you know your equity into the next property, that's going to have an effect depending on where the income cutoff is. That's going to have a pretty you know I think damning effect on a lot of aspects of certainly the higher end real estate investing. A lot of real estate investing, in order to make the numbers make sense, these when I'm talking about I'm you know big multifamilies things like that. One of the variables is definitely the benefit of the tax 31. So a lot of assets are sold based on the idea that you're you're going to be uh, selling out of a, another asset and moving your equity up into the next one. A lot of people have uh, laddered up into the investment uh, realms of you know big multifamilies and things like that. So the unintended consequences of starting to tax that, uh, and of course, we don't know what the tax rate will be, but the unintended consequences of taxing 1031s or making it even so that 1031s aren't going to be viable options for people over a certain income um, you know, limit is going to be who knows what, but it's not good. So it's just keep good. that in mind. And it also takes the motivation away that residential you know, and commercial real estate agents had working with those clients because they had a deadline they were working against. Right. And what these, what these laws to have a tendency to do or these tax codes have a tendency to do is they write it and they pass them with such a, you know, well, it's only affecting people that are really rich or it's only affecting this or the other thing. And what they do is they just slowly draw the limits down. So it starts out, let's say maybe 400 and then after a while, then they reduce it to 250 and then it's 150. And then by the way, there's no 1031s anymore. That's how these types of deals have typically worked. So just be aware of it. Remember, prepared for the worst, hoping for the best. And also, and, and Julie and I, uh, again, on last Sunday, we we're talking about all the uh, ways that they're going to be uh, increasing property taxes. And I've been seeing more and more articles coming out I set up Google alerts for in, for most of the major cities in the country and all the local cities that I follow, all the biggest real estate markets in the country, they're all talking about, regardless of what's going on in their local economy, every single one of them is putting raising property taxes as their number one to do on their number one you know, item on their to-do list. Um, to again, try to make up from the shortfalls from the reduced sales tax from the fact that people haven't been out spending money like they have and businesses haven't been paying the taxes like they have. So these types of things are getting pushed back on property owners. So property as a essentially a go-to form of wealth, um, I think, building in the United States is going to be, if it's not already under real attack. So just be aware of it. I'm not casting dispersions one way or the other or being political. I'm just letting you know that the investment thesis of buying a bunch of investment properties that certainly Julie and I followed over our lifetime so far is maybe not going to be as valid as it was over the past you know 25 years that Julie and I have been buying properties. Now, the second article has definitely an ominous um, 
title, but it's important that you understand it because it's relevant for more than just New York City, which this is prominently about. Um, and this is from CNBC. Yes, and here's the headline. A second Great Depression, unemployment crisis hits big cities hard. The unemployment rate in New York rose to 20.4% in June, even as the broader country's uh, numbers improved. Los Angeles has a 19.5% jobless rate. Remember that LA is the fifth largest economy in the entire world, yep. so this is significant, not to mention New York. Great Depression levels of unemployment have hit some of the country's biggest cities. Uh, let's see, barometer of financial hardship. It's this, these numbers are double the national peak during the financial crisis of 2008 and 9, and a level last unseen since the 1930s when the country was in the throes of the worst ever economic downturn in the uh, industrial era. Uh, so again, New York and LA hit the hardest. The nation's largest city is New York and major tourism entertainment hub that supports thousands of jobs in a service economy that's been ravaged by the coronavirus pandemic. Uh, let's see, goes on to do a lot more statistics. Uh, okay, so contrast that with the overall U.S. unemployment rate, which actually fell, but is still at 11.1%. It was at 14.7% in April, uh, largely driven by furloughed workers being recalled to their jobs as states began reopening their economies. Now, we all know that we're also shutting some of those back down, so we'll have to wait and see what the real numbers are. The moral of the story is there's going to be another, another stimulus package that's going to be um, released in August. I think it's going to get passed this week or next week. There is going to be enhanced unemployment, so there's the big, you know, guess what, guys? We predicted this back in, you know, in March that we said that the enhanced unemployment that was not going to go away, that it was going to be, especially because there was an election year, it was going to continue, and it's going to. And the other expectation that we had, uh, which is looking like it's going to actually happen, is they're going to have another round of PPP money. All right, so if you missed out on that on the first time, uh, it's you better be paying attention to it. Julie's reading something and her jaw just fell open. What is it, Julie? Well, I mean, it's funny that their headline was uh, L.A. and New York. Las Vegas had the highest unemployment rate of any metro area in May at 29%. Oh, my gosh. Wow. Okay, and they also, just so you guys can pay attention, uh, metro areas of Seattle, Miami, Cleveland, and Houston are also on the list. So I think this will be largely localized, and you're going to have to know your own situation. Well, but here's the think yeah. about this, though. If you have these big cities and these big employment you know, hubs in the United States, which are having essentially what they're calling Depression-era levels of unemployment, there's no way that's not going to affect the rest of the country. Oh, of it's just, you know. So when we are, again, trying to get you guys to hope, stay hoping for the best, but you got to move on to preparing for the worst – because there's every reason to believe, as CoreLogic and many others have been predicting, that next year is definitely going to be a decidedly different market. Yeah. And uh, don't wait till next year to find out if all these experts are right. Make sure you're preparing yourself now. The easiest and quickest way for you to do this, and also, by the way, to find out about the enhanced unemployment, find out about the PPP, the EIDL loan, all these different things, is to join our free, that's right, free as a no-charge coaching program mm -hmm. that we launched at the beginning of the pandemic. Um, and all you have to do is text the word survival to 31996, text the word survival to 31996, and we'll text you back a link and just click the link in your, you know, in your SMS and then you'll be sent, uh, 
directly to the website. You set up your credentials, and then the next thing you know, you can log into the website, and you're good to go. And then you're a, a member of our free coaching program. Um, this is a version of our normal coaching program, but it's a great place for you to get started. And when you're there, the first thing I want you to do is go click on the tile that says uh, Ultimate Agent Survival Guide. And in that Ultimate Agent Survival Guide is all the drill-down information, all the different programs, including mortgage forbearances, mm-hmm. that we beg all of you to take seriously and jump on urgently. So make sure you're doing that. And then you're also going to see our 90 day massive action plan. You're also going to be entitled to a free coaching call, all kinds of great stuff that we have little Easter eggs, as they call it, that are waiting for you. So make sure you text the word survival to 31996. All right, Julie, let's get back to our points. By the way, all that will be updated. If there's a new stimulus that comes out, if this tax thing for investors gets messed around with, then we're going to let you know exactly what it is. And we don't just report on it or give you a coaching call. We actually give you the facts so that you can have that ready to rumble. All right, so back to our topic, things to never ever say to yourself or to somebody else. And this even means just in your head, not even out loud. The next one is, uh, oh, this is a good one. They got the listing because they knew the seller. I don't think you covered that yesterday, did you? No, but we've talked about that before. And essentially what this is, is an agent making excuses for essentially not being good enough to earn the listing. Julie and I were in Hawaii um, a couple Januarys ago, and we were in front of this group of top producing agents. And one of the agents in the room uh, essentially raised his hand, very nice guy, asked why he didn't get this listing. And then he gave the, his explanation and what he did, what he didn't do. And, you know, just sort of like saying, I did all this stuff and I still didn't get it. Mm-hmm. And the answer and the obvious answer was, and his, his rationalization for not having gotten the listing. You remember this, by the way? I'm trying to remember. Was it because they knew him? Yeah, that was yeah. his rationalization. Well, the seller must have known yeah. the uh, other agent. And Maybe. I said, no, that isn't the reason that the other agent got the listing. The other agent got the listing because they and the IFs of the seller were more deserving of the listing. And the other agent did a better job of selling them yeah. as selling the seller into as to why they should list with them opposed to you. You basically got beat. That's what happened. And so that's a real cutting through the bullshit way of looking at loss. Because if you just say, I didn't get the listing because of the fact the other agent had an inroad, many times that will be true. They will have inroads and you might be the one with the inroad. But that in itself in a market like this will not guarantee you a listing. And if you lose in an environment like this, it's because you did not win. In other words, you did not earn the right to be uh, the choice of the seller because you didn't have the skill set. Don't be fooled into thinking that agents with in, you know inside relationships with sellers in a market like this where real true skills are going to be needed are going to win as often as they have, say, in a seller's market where the sellers know pretty much everything sells itself by just putting it in the MLS and putting it for sale even if it's overpriced, right? So you guys got to realize all the rules are changing. Next point, Julie. Yes, and we talked about this on our series about uh, moral obligation to be rich. Money is the root of all evil. Okay, so the next thing you guys say a lot to yourselves is money is the root of all evil. And we did a long series of podcasts just recently on this very, you know, essentially really evil thing that you can say to yourself. And how can that possibly be true? But if you believe that's true, and again, go back and listen to the past podcasts on that, on this topic. But if you believe that money is the root of all evil, then if you even have that bouncing around in your head, let alone say it or even just say it flippantly, What are the chances of you actually wanting to pursue being rich where your money works for you and you no longer work for your money? Rich, that word, is is it's almost like a a caustic word right now, isn't it? I mean, I was just reading another article, actually. I don't even know if I still have it up, 
where they're still, they're passing the, in New York City and specifically, and this is unbelievable. They're trying to pass a tax, and, and the name of the tax is what the unbelievable part is. Is this like the you know bastard billionaires tax or something? I don't even remember what it was. Nice. And essentially, they're trying to pass a tax on people that have net worths over a billion dollars, or just specifically focusing on. And and the name of the tax that they come up with it seriously was like. You Something owe it horrible. to us. We're taking it back because you stole it from us tax kind of thing. Yeah. So so that they're Terrible. basically, they're just feeding into the belief that in order for a rich person to be rich, they had to have taken from somebody else, right? Versus the reality of it is the reason a rich person is rich is because they created something that other people were willing to pay for and other willing to, people were willing to pay for in such a quantity that it basically made them, in, you know, in the case of that, of a billionaire. That's not something when you see a billionaire, a person's a billionaire or a millionaire, uh, you know, because of the fact that they've done something in their lifetimes to merit other people wanting to do business with them in such a quantity that they have been able to become That's wealthy. Right. And don't think for a second it's because they all inherited it. That's the next thing that comes to their minds. It's on my list. Statistically, that's yeah. not actually true. It's not true. And yeah. and furthermore, with regards to the belief that, you know, essentially rich people are evil, if you believe that, you're never going to become rich. And if all your friends and family are like that, you know, and everyone you're around thinks and says stuff like that, why would you want to be something that was the antithesis of what, you know, they believe? You won't. So here's really a very simple definition of rich. A rich is where your money works for you and you no longer have to work for your money. You can be rich if you have enough money coming in every single month to cover all your personal overhead and then ideally a, a personal overhead plus a little so you can have a little bit of fun. But that's rich. So if you're rich when you earn, you know, you're rich when I'm, I'm giving you this definition because it truly is the bottom line. You could have a billion dollars, but if you had you know, $10,000 a month and that's all you really needed to basically pay your bills and be super comfortable. That was just the lifestyle that you had. That extra money really doesn't really have a direct impact on your life. Now, generally speaking, if you had that much money, you can use that money to have amazing impacts on other people's lives. But you could have just had the same 10000 a month and kept the same quality of life. And, you know, obviously there's not very many billionaires that live on 10000 a month, but hopefully you're getting my point. So if at the end of the day, you need 10,000, 7,500, 7,500 is the magic number for most of you. If you need 7,500 to be rich where your money works for you, you no longer have to work for your money. That is your goal. Because once you obtain that goal, you're going to be financially free and such that you won't have to, you, the, the omnipresent burden of having to earn money is not going to be on your shoulders all the time. Not suggesting you'll stop working, not even remotely saying that. I'm saying the nature of the work you do and who you choose to do work for will change when you do have that passive income coming in. Do you have time for another point, Julie? I do. Just one more. Let's see. Uh, well, we've talked about this too. More money won't make me happy. Let's, let's do, uh, I have to feel passionate about my work to succeed. That's a big dark hole, isn't it? Yeah, you're in, so the more money won't make me happy. We just rolled it into the yeah, previous point. We did. Yep. Yeah. Okay. So the passion thing. All right. Because we hear that a lot. So do you guys really believe that you have to be passionate to be successful at something, to be really good at something? Do you really believe that's necessary? I know a lot of you do because that's- I used to believe that. You're still plugged in, by the way. I, that's... I know. I, I wrote about that in the Harris Rules book, uh, in both versions of it. What? And I think even the treasure map. that I used to think, oh, I, you know, I'm not passionate about it. So how could I how could I ever become a good salesperson because I it's just not my passion it's not my uh, my hobby or something I think about all the time and I again I wrote about this a lot in the book but basically what happened is I met a whole lot of people at one of the Howard Brinton things that we went to who actually were very passionate about other things but also extremely successful at real estate 
And that unlocked the thought for me that, you know what, maybe what you're truly passionate about will be a lot more fun to do when you're not struggling for an income anymore. You know, and I, I mean, my thing was music. I've known a lot of musicians that had plenty of passion for it, but got ruined to it because they had to earn a living from it. So that's and, my short version because I have to get to premiere. And you can read the long version in Harris Rules, which is still, it remains a bestseller on Amazon and uh, Barnes and Noble. So if you've not picked up that book, and as of uh, two weeks ago, it is available on Audible as well. Harris Rules and almost, I think, 400 or over 400 five-star reviews now. And Julie, have a great premiere coaching session. Those of you who are in Julie's, a premier coaching uh, program. Make sure you attend the call live every day. She's literally walking to her office to start that session now. So let's talk about this passion thing because the passion thing is really very confusing because everyone believes that like you find your passion in life and the money will follow. That's complete bullshit. And all you have to do to realize it's bullshit is like, let's say for example, your passion was I mean, this morning, Julie and I went snorkeling in the ocean. We did that with Zoe. That's we try to do that every morning. And that's how we like to start our day. So if I had a passion for snorkeling in the ocean and just, you know, screwing around the beach, that's what my passion was. How's the money going to follow? Or you think I'm being, you know, that's too snidey maybe? Let's look at it this way. What if your passion was painting, right? Your passion is painting, oil paints, whatever, drawing. I used to have a, you know, a passion when I was a kid for art. But then you quickly realize that your art isn't going to sell. Your art isn't going to make you money. And there's a billion starving artists and all these people believe that if they followed their passions, eventually the money would follow. How many do you think actually follow their passions and have the money follow? It's virtually none. But how many wasted their lives thinking if they just stuck at it that their money would follow? But Tim, they were helpful. They were happy while they were doing the art, even though they didn't have any money. No, they weren't because they were always worried about not having any money. Now, what they should have done is they should have actually done something, a, a career path, be it, you know, what you guys do, or maybe a doctor or something, you know, where you are a business owner of a different variety, do something that's for the sake of basically helping other people that turns a nice profit and then reinvesting that money into something that produces passive income. So then you're rich or your money works for you. You no longer work for your money. Then follow your passion. Follow your passion when it can be not something that you have to hopefully one day be able to pay bills off of. But the ultimate problem with the whole idea that you have to be feel passionate about whatever it is that you're doing in order for you to be successful is because passion is a fleeting emotion. Passion comes and goes. You know, I'm not talking about love. I'm talking about basically feeling motivated, right? I mean, passion, which you guys are really wanting to or believing that you have to experience is, is just an emotion. It comes and goes with your hormones. It comes and goes with the weather. It comes and goes with the people you're around, the thoughts that you're ha bouncing around in your head. Passion is not something to pin your long-term you know, business plan on because it is not going to actually get you into the end zone. If you're only going to work at the highest level when you feel passionate, you're never going to work at the highest level because you don't feel passionate enough. There are so few people, like no people, that actually are truly passionate about what they do, and yet they're the best at what they do because they've gotten really good at it. Maybe they started out having, you know, maybe for like a year or two, they're passionate about it. But then eventually what happens is they develop mastery, and now that mastery essentially, even though they're not really having much interest in what they're doing at the same level anymore, they've gotten really good at it. And because they've gotten really good at it, their customers are, you know, repeating and, you know, sending them referrals and they're becoming more and more financially successful. They stick with it. And then they find themselves one day passionless. 
And then here's what I've seen with agents before. They say, oh my gosh, I don't have passion for what I'm doing. Something must be wrong with me. And then they screw up their businesses. That happens a lot. Or they screw up their marriages. That happens a lot. Or their health or their finances. You do not have to be passionate to be successful, to be the most successful, the most celebrated person in your particular career path in the world. Passion is an emotion and it comes and goes. What you really have to do is you have to primarily have a mindset of service to other people. If that is your root software, if that is your root motivation, being of service to other people, what you'll discover is that it's a pleasure, not a passion, being of service to other people continuously. So then your quest is going to be able to service more people. And in order to service more people, you're going to have to become better at what it is that you, your, you know, your chosen career path. That's called skills. And then what you can do from the money you make as you become wealthier, then you can spend that money on the things that you are passionate about. That's the way real life works. Not this sort of oversimplified romantic notion that you just, you know, I'm going to decide that I'm going to be the greatest, I don't even know what, in the world, basket weaver in the world. And I know because I believe that, you know, follow your passion and the money will follow. Well, you're going to go to the grave having made a bunch of beautiful baskets and being broke and wondering what the heck did you do wrong. And that's just, it's be basically followed really silly advice. That's really the bottom line. Doing what you don't want to do when you don't want to do it at the highest level is the ultimate route to financial freedom, is the ultimate route to a life where you can spend, um, you know, spoil yourself focusing on your passions. That's really the truth. You guys should all remember that and write that down. I know long-term coaching clients, you guys have all internalized that. The key to ever increasing long-term levels of success is doing what you don't want to do when you don't want to do it at the highest level, which is the exact opposite it follow your passion and the money will follow, okay? I mean, you guys get it? You see how we're practical, we're tactical, we're staying drilled down. We're not, you know, preaching woo-woo or pseudoscience. We're telling you guys the truth of what it takes to actually build a business worth owning and a life worth living. So if you guys need me for anything, and I'd love to talk with more of you about our, joining our EXP group, please feel free to text me at 512-758-0206. If you want to talk with me directly about joining Julie and I's EXP team, because Julie and I are in EXP and we'd love to talk with you about EXP Realty, just text me directly at 512-758-0206. In the meantime, you guys have a fantastic day and we'll talk with you on the show tomorrow. This program has been a presentation by Tim and Julie Harris, Real Estate Coaching. For more information on our real estate coaching and training programs, visit our website at timandjulieharris.com. Remember to tune in weekdays at noon for upcoming shows. And until next time, thank you for listening to Real Estate Coaching Radio with Tim and Julie Harris. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.